Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is going to come from the book of Acts, and we'll be covering verses 9 through 24, starting in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there would be, was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. The one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gained by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, now we come and we ask for help. Your help to enable me to declare your truth by the power of your spirit and help to all those I'm sitting here or I'm in the other room to have ears to hear. Sanctify the saints today through your word and save those who entered in unregenerate. For Christ's sake, amen. Come over to Macedonia and help us. The help needing there, the help needed rather, uh, was the preaching of the gospel. We see that in verse 10. Um, wonderful words for a preacher to hear, as I said last time, uh, because uh, most people don't want to be helped. Most want to do their own thing. Most want to believe their own way. Uh, they don't want to listen to truth, refusing to submit themselves to Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. 
They don't want to be helped. They don't want to listen to someone telling them that they must listen to the one true God. So come and help us in in the context of gospel truth is something wonderful for any preacher to hear. Today's passage is about help and who needs it. The answer presented to us here in Acts chapter 16 is from the greatest of people, that is to say, uh, successful people, those who drive the nicest cars and live in the nicest homes and in the nicest um, zip codes, um, to those on the bottom rung of society, those used and abused by men. We see, as we will next week, um, blue-collar jailers need help. who tend to prison inmates. We'll see that prison inmates need help. Help that comes from the great physician, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And whether people acknowledge it or not, beloved, um, it is only in him that we live and, and move and have our breath and being. It is in Christ alone Every beat of our heart, every breath that we take is in utter and complete dependence upon him who holds all things together, the Lord Jesus Christ. From where shall my help come, Christ the psalmist? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's what is before us this morning. Now, introduced as we were last week to this cry for help that goes out, um, this morning we're introduced to the people who need the help, and we're going to see the help um, that is required. Help required, help provided. This is soul help we'll see here this morning. Um, The rest of the chapter highlights for us the stories of three individuals who become believers. Lydia, an influential businesswoman, an unnamed demon-possessed girl who we can certainly assume came to faith having been delivered from a demon, and an unnamed town jailer. We'll look at him next time, but this morning we're going to focus on these two women. Um, Conversion testimonies. Conversion testimonies of God's grace and how they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we began our look at Paul's second missionary journey, um, a mission that commenced with a a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, the result being one ministry team turned into two. Look at Acts 15, verse 39. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Verse 41, traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As we entered into chapter 16, 
we were um, introduced to a new servant of the Lord, and that is um, young Timothy. It's the first time he's mentioned um, in Scripture, who likely came to saving faith through Paul's first missionary journey. And by the time Paul returns, the people speak so well of Timothy that Paul, that, uh, Paul notice in verse 3, wants Timothy to go with him. Now, once enlisted on the team to allow the ministry to function without any um, unnecessary setbacks, Timothy, half Jew, half Gentile, submits himself okay, voluntarily to circumcision. As I said before, that's nothing any grown man wants to hear. But he submits himself so as to overcome um, a, any barrier to his witness as, as a half-Jewish man, and therefore bridging both Gentile um, and Jewish cultures. So in verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. So as they're making their way, the Holy Spirit, as we looked at last time, um, prevents them from going to certain places. We see that in verses 6 and 7. Now, how, how the Holy Spirit prevented them, we're not told. Um, it, it could have been audible um, by way of the vision, uh, maybe by way of Silas, who we understand was indeed a prophet. So the Lord perhaps may have spoken through him directly, or perhaps um, it was by way of circumstances. You know, roads were closed, or there was turmoil in that area. A variety of things could have gone on. We're not told, but they were hindered by the Spirit from ministering the gospel. So they go about their business planning and strategizing. All the while, it is the Lord who is directing their steps. Proverbs 16, 9. We plan, we strategize, we pray, God directs our steps. And oftentimes, it's by way of his providence. And then, notice, by way of a vision given to Paul in verse 9, a cry for help went out. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we, Luke is writing, he's joined the team, we go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, the word concluding there um, is a word that involves um, a, a deliberative process. So they sat down and they, they asked, you know, is this of the Lord? Is this not? They, they weighed the matter thoroughly and they discern, indeed, this is what the Lord would have us to do. We're going to respond to this cry for help. So in response to the, the call, Paul and his team, notice, immediately board a ship at Troas. Verse 11 so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. Now, could we have the map put up on the screen for us? Okay, I have a new highlighter, this one. The red one didn't work. The green one, note it. Uh, do you see it? A little bit? See it on the wall? Okay, okay, follow. Okay, Jerusalem Council, they go up to Antioch, that's home base. They depart, Derby Lystra, 
Okay, they pick up Timothy. They take a 400-mile journey on foot, most likely here. They enter into Troas. They get on a ship. They cross the Aegean Sea. They hit one night Samothrace, this little island, and then they go into Neapolis, a port city. Philippi is 10 miles inland right here. This is where we're at, second missionary journey. Do you all follow? You see the little dot? Wasn't that precious that someone did that? They went and bought this. This is so nice. If you didn't follow it, don't worry about it. Look in the, look in the back of your Bible. You have a map. <laughs> so here they are in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, a district of Rome um, from the time of, of, of about 42 B.C., and it was, a, a major, it was on a major east-west highway, making it great for merchandising, and that is perhaps why Lydia is here selling purple garments. Major trade route on this day. So Paul, as you know, will later express his deep love and gratitude for the church at Philippi um, while he is in prison. So here then, God has called Paul and his team away from where they wanted and had planned to go in preaching the gospel. And when they arrive in Philippi, what they don't find, as was Paul's habit to preach in, was a local synagogue. There's no local synagogue here. Remember, their, their, their method of ministry was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So in order to minister to Jews first, you go to the local synagogue and you preach Christ from the Old Testament. That's all they had. Christ is all over the Old Testament, beloved. We have shown that over and over and over again throughout the years. Now, it required 10 men in any area to form a synagogue. And here, there are obviously not even 10 Jewish males in Philippi. So since there's no synagogue for Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke to go to, they suppose that perhaps there is a place for prayer outside of the city. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, think about it. Because of this extraordinary vision of a man crying out, come help us in Macedonia, uh, they're likely expecting some huge, marvelous thing to happen. And they get there, and it's a group of women praying. No offense, ladies, but really. I can imagine what they may have been perceiving in their mind, and then perhaps reasoning, you know, has God really led us here? I don't know, just speculation. Has God really led us here? You know, did we take a wrong turn? I mean, we're here to minister. There was a vision of a man crying out, come help us, and there's not even a synagogue here. There's some women praying by a river. So here's a group of women led by one woman by the name of Lydia, who we read was a worshiper of Yahweh. That means she was a God-fearer. She's a worshiper of Yahweh. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. Now, purple was a mark of, of high rank and nobility. Um, you would have to extract dye from a particular shellfish, which was prominent in this area um, at this time, um, in order to dye garments the color of royalty. 
So this is a business that, that brought in great revenue. And for centuries, actually, purple dye, I read, was actually so sold in this region. They traded in purple dye up until the 19th century when more modern inventions um, basically put them out of business. So here she is, Lydia, a seller of, of purple garments, leading a group of women in a time of prayer outside the city gate by a flowing river. Um, Lydia, obviously, is believed to be um, a woman of some means. Um, scholars believe that the church in Philippi, Pi, actually met um, at her home. Um, whatever the case, we know that she was um, a wealthy seller of purple fabrics. Question, who needs help? A successful businesswoman praying near a body of water, she needs help. This is of God. This is of the Lord. And the Lord is about to do something marvelous. So in case you're ever considering, hmm, has God led us here? It doesn't seem to be that magnificent. It's, it's a group of women praying by a, a river. It's God who does marvelous things in the lives of individuals. Who needs help? The successful business woman. And here she is met by Paul. She is praying. Paul speaks. And I want you to notice a very simple phrase in the text. Verse 14. Lydia was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. A beautiful, simple picture being shown to us here 2,000 years later, Pacific Hope Church. The Lord opened her heart. Her heart was now open to the message of the gospel that the Son of God became flesh, died for sinners, was raised again. How do we know that? Because that was always the core message of the Apostle Paul. It's Christ crucified, raised again. So it was during this message that her heart was opened. Her heart was unlocked. Notice, to do what? Her heart was open to pay attention. Her heart was unlocked to respond to what was being said by Paul, verse 14. So if you want to know why was Lydia paying attention, it was in response to God opening her heart. He's at work. God, out of his grace and mercy, opened Lydia's heart. Friends, unless God, according to his sovereign grace, opens the sinful human heart for a person to listen and to believe, it remains shut, locked. Do we understand this, beloved? Because on account of the radical depravity of fallen human beings left to our natural state, the heart will never be opened unless God, amen? Unless God unlocks it. You can't respond to the gospel unless God opens the heart. This is sovereign grace on display. You know the same word for opened here? We see it show up in Luke 24, verse 45. That is, after the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, we read that Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to 
understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. Dianoigo, same word. He opened. And again, that same word for opened is used later on in this very chapter that describes the earthquake that struck Philippi. The result is that immediately all the doors were, verse 26, opened. Same word. He opens it. Those locked in the prison were empowered by an earthquake to walk out. (laughs) He opened the doors by way of an earthquake, and that's exactly what happened here to Lydia's heart. This God-fearer whose heart is instantly overpowered, caused by God to believe. Who causes faith? Did you cause faith within you, or did God cause faith within you? Did God cause faith to rise up in you, or did you rise, raise up faith within yourself? No, he birthed it into you. That's regeneration. You must be born again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast So here, the God of creation, who needs help? A successful businesswoman. And here, the God of creation fixed his eyes, fixed his attention on this one woman at this point in time, and he opened her heart to listen and to respond. Friends, this is just an example of what God ordinarily does, is God's people meet. That is, the conversion of souls by way of the exposition of his word. Preach the word word in God's elect will be saved. Maybe not today. Maybe he's convicting you today and you don't believe. You don't believe Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And perhaps he is pricking your conscience. And perhaps at this moment you're cold and callous. If you're his elect, chosen before the foundation of the earth, eventually you will believe. And unless he opens your heart, you never will believe. So what's the command? Repent and believe. And if it's you and you're an unbeliever, I pray that today that command is effectual. That it affects you in a way that brings forth life to your very soul. That's how he works, typically. And in response, notice, number one, he, 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 he opens her heart. She's attentive to the word about Jesus. Secondly, she receives the word about Jesus. And then thirdly, she's baptized in the name of Jesus. He opens her heart. Baptism signifying union with God through Christ, that we are one with him in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We've been buried in, with Christ, raised with Christ. And then her whole household is baptized. Now, this is not some support verse for baby baptism, okay? It says her household. Well, who's her household? Well, we don't know exactly, but what we do know is that the women who gathered by the river are a group of grown women. The the, the word for, for women there is gune, which means adult women. So these are adult women who heard the word and obviously responded and were likewise baptized. And Lydia represents the whole, the entire group. And then notice the result of her heart being opened. 
God opened her heart, and then she opens her home. She opens her home to to those who are in and of Jesus, verse 15. She urged us, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, I don't know if they were staying in an inn or what, but here you, you see Christian hospitality on display after one's heart has been opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ by God himself. We therefore open ourselves up to one another, and here's what she does. She opens her home. I insist you must come stay at my house. She prevailed upon us. Isn't that sweet? Who needs the Lord? Who needs the help of the Lord? We do. We do. So what an unexpected and wonderful thing we see at this riverside. Paul and his team go out. They respond to this Macedonian call, this vision given to the apostle Paul. And here's the fruit of it thus far. So here the sun shines for a a moment at this riverside. And there's a storm brewing just around the corner. Okay, notice verse 16. It happened. Now, that's always something that grabs our attention. It happened. As we were going to the place of prayer, so they've been at Lydia's house, they're going back to this place of prayer, and there's a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This is dark business. Who needs help? A successful businesswoman by the name of Lydia, she needs help. Who else needs help? A slave girl who's in double bondage. Double bondage to the spirit of divination and to her owners who use her. So over the course of the days, they return to this place of prayer. As they did, they run into this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She has a Pythonic spirit, a Pythian spirit, Puthane, a Pythian spirit. The same word that we get for snake or python. A python-like spirit. Python was a a mythical snake, believed it was a dragon-like creature, believed to protect the temple of the Greek god Apollo. A Pythian spirit. So the the, the python has become a symbol or became a symbol for anyone who was demon-possessed, a spirit of divination, a Pythian spirit. See, it was believed that a demon-possessed person could tell the future of people, could give insight into people, i.e., our modern-day fortune tellers. If you're a Christian and you dabble in that nonsense, you better repent quickly. You, You understand what I'm saying? If you're a Christian and you go to tarot card readers, that's dark business. You better repent, like now. So authoritative. That's right. That's right. God's the authority, not me. Just the messenger. It's to delve into the, the, the demonic. Don't do that. It's also been referred to as the spirit of a ventriloquist. Kids, you know what a ventriloquist is? 
You know the guy who sits on a chair and he has a puppet on his leg, you know, in his mouth, the man's mouth doesn't move, but the puppet does this. And the man seeks, and he's, as he seeks, the, the puppet, his mouth is moving like that. But his mouth isn't moving, you know what I'm saying? In other words, there's this voice coming from out of her, and we, when we study demon-possessed people, it's the demon that speaks through the vocal cords of the one who's possessed. And here, like a ventriloquist, the demonic realm or the demon speaks through the vocal cords of the woman, and she is said to tell the future of those around her for money. She's used as something like a prostitute, double bondage. Who needs help? A demon-possessed little girl used by men. She needs help. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So here, this enslaved girl speaks words that are formally true. Is it true? Is it true? It's true. Remember, all false religions and cults are always packaged on the outside with some truth, but inside they're full of lies. Jehovah's Witnesses, packaged with truth, filled with lies. Mormonism, packaged with some truth, filled with lies. Every other cult, every other religious belief in the world is packaged with some truth, filled with lies. Whether it's regarding that Jesus was not God, denying Christ's deity, or whatever other host of essential doctrines they teach, they are of the devil. Because we learn in the scriptures that Satan loves to masquerade as an angel of Light, that's religion. So their ministers masquerade as those declaring light. But as Puritan writer long ago, William Bates once said, and I quote, the devil will tell you a hundred things that are true in order that he might tell you the hundred and first thing that isn't true and weave his way of cunning and evil into the machinations of your heart and soul. End of quote. His scheming, crafty actions packaged in some form of truth 100 truths to get to the 101st truth to deceive you. Jesus is a way. I'll buy that. Jesus was merely a man. He wasn't God in the flesh. Born of a virgin? Are you kidding? Yeah, he had to be. Truly God, truly man. To atone for the sins of man. Our representative head, Adam, the first man of creation... We're all in his family line. It took another man to redeem what was lost in the first Adam, but it had to be God who became a man who becomes the second Adam to redeem what was lost in the first. You're either in the first Adam, you die in the first Adam, you go to hell. You die in the second Adam, you're guaranteed heaven. 
So you need to know who he is. Truly God, truly man. It's just basic gospel 101, amen? Verse 18, she continued doing this for many days. Doing what? These are messengers of the Most High God, proclaiming the way of salvation. And Paul becomes greatly annoyed. Why would he become greatly annoyed? Isn't this free publicity? Speaking the truth. They are messengers of the Most High God. They are proclaiming the way of salvation to God. And the God who provides salvation. That's true, word. Why is he annoyed? Well, one thing is that others might assume she's a partner with them in the gospel, knowing she has a spirit of divination. That's just one consideration. That would annoy me. So being annoyed, verse 18, um, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's his apostolic authority on display, the name of Jesus Christ. I command you come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. So in exercising this demon in the name of Jesus Christ, he also exercised her master's income as well. And and what Paul is saying here in verses 18 and 19 is that the spirit is gone. In other words, literally, the spirit abandoned her, and as a result, the money abandoned them. They made money off her. Like a pimp. So when Paul casts out this demon, notice... There's a severe reaction. You start messing with people's money or start messing with people who make you money, you will get a reaction. Verse 19, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, it abandoned them. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. So here, confronted by these city officials, charging them of promoting an unproved religion which disturbs the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, they have them arrested. That's their accusation. Then they stir the crowd up, verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here you have the story of two conversions. The result of this one is that these messengers of God are beaten with rods, they're put into the stocks, and according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is one of those three times Paul says he had been beaten with rods. 
Here's one. I wonder if Paul ever received a tract that says Jesus has a great plan for your life. You think? That's not the gospel, by the way. God's plan is great, regardless of where it leads us. But Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, as I said before, is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. Amen? You're hearing the gospel. This is the gospel. You declare the finished work of Jesus Christ. You declare one's need for Christ. You declare the fact that you will die in your sin apart from Christ. There's one who came to pay the debt you could never pay, to live the life you could never live. He died. He suffered God's wrath on the cross, died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. To be right with God is to have peace with God. And peace with God comes through faith in Christ alone who bore the wrath of God alone. And you'll be saved from God, his wrath, by God, his grace, for God, his glory, and finally, your own good. So here they are, stripped, beaten with many blows, put into stock. Who needs help? A wealthy woman by the name of Lydia, she needs help. A young woman possessed by a demon used by men, she needs help. Here, two preachers need help. (laughs) They need help of the Holy Spirit. My help comes from the Lord. We'll see that next week. So here the Lord is working through this vision of a man calling out, crying out, come help us, this man of Macedonia. And, and, and Paul meets a, a praying businesswoman and she comes to faith in Jesus Christ through preaching of the gospel as God opens her heart and caused her to pay attention and to believe. Providentially, the Lord connects to Paul and his team, his ministry, a demonized girl and she's set free, delivered. In Christ. Next time, he works through the arrest and beating of two of his servants, Paul and Silas, who will experience an earthquake that awakens a jailer who becomes suicidal. Who needs help? A jailer who becomes suicidal. (laughs) Amazing grace, this Philippian jailer all of whom need the same Savior. These are all testimonies of the same God who saves sinners with the same truth in different ways. Amen? We have a host of testimonies here of God doing the same work by way of the same Savior for the sake of the same result. The glory of God. The glory of God. So you have um, a woman here by the river, a, a demon-possessed slave girl used for fortune-telling, one woman of high degree and prominence within any society, really, and in another from the streets. A street urchin. but it's the same grace operative in both lives. The same grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ in operation that transforms lives. 
God deals with us in very different ways. Amen? Who needs help? Lydia. Clothier. Dealing in garments of purple. And as far as the circumstances are concerned with Lydia, there's no great dramatic event, really. I mean, it's dramatic that God opens her heart, but many times we miss that. We're always into, man, you ought to have seen what I used to be before Jesus. And then some guy gets up and boasts in his 30 years of, of decrepit sin. We don't need to hear that. You know, you think he was bad. Wait till you hear my story. You ever been to places like that? It's a testimony. I was like, would you please? And we don't give a lot of time to what we refer to as um, so-called boring testimonies. So, and I say so-called, so-called boring testimonies. My, my prayer for all of these young people, my prayer for all of you young people who sit here and are blessed with believing mothers and fathers who bring you to church, you sit under the word, my prayer, my hope is as you sit under the word that God in his grace opens your hearts to believe so that you will have what is called sometimes boring testimonies. Instead of, well, after going to prison and robbing banks and doing drugs for years and losing my mind half the time and, and, and um, I'm, I'm having uh, partnerships with many, many people. A testimony that says, I went to church with my mama and my daddy. The preacher preached the truth. God opened my heart to believe. That's a fantastic testimony. Beautiful testimony. That's the testimony I pray for each and every one of you young people. Amen? That's the greatest thing for any parent to desire is that my child has a so-called boring testimony. And if that's not your desire, there's something wrong with your head. <laughs> there's something wrong with you. And I question your, your, your faith. You got to get out there and taste it a little bit. That's nonsense. If they do, that should break your heart. I've experienced that. It breaks your heart. On the other hand, God also works in those who don't have the privileges that you children have sitting here week in and week out hearing the word of God with the hope that God opens your heart. Because <clears throat> there are people like that. <clears throat> Slave girl out on the street being used by other people. Making money for other people. A, a traumatic life to be used and abused like yet this. And yet here's God in his mercy by way of his providence <clears throat> transforms her life as well. He opened her heart and set her free from demonic possession by the command in the name of Jesus Christ, I demand, be gone. Amen? Come over to Macedonia and help us. Who needed help? A woman praying. God opened her heart to believe. Who needed help? A demon-possessed girl. And God opened her heart, and the demonic spirit had to leave. By the command of the apostle. 
The, the, the Lord, in other words, opens the hearts of all kinds of people. That's why we need one another. That's why we pray for one another. That's why we pray for loved ones of ours on behalf of one another, that God will open the heart when they hear the word. Who needs help? I need help. Who needs help? You need help. We all need help. And let me say this. If you're here and you're not in Christ, don't wait. Do not wait. Don't, don't try to clean yourself up. Well, I got to go get some things in order. No, don't wait. Don't worry about your family and what they think. Don't make this complex. Don't worry about what your business partners think. Don't worry about what your friends think. Don't try to make yourself acceptable. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And don't worry, by the way, about looking helpless. Because you are. You can't help yourself in getting right with God. You go to the source, the one who demands that you repent and you believe, embrace Jesus Christ by faith, God's only means of salvation, and you shall be saved from the wrath that is due to you. And I pray that God has opened your heart to believe that message. So the question for you this morning is, do you... Okay, ponder this, everyone in earshot, listen, do you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ lived the perfect life of obedience before the Father and is the only one to do so? And he did it in the place of all who shall ever believe. Do you believe that he suffered death on a Roman cross, bearing the wrath of God the Father while he was on that cross on behalf of every sinner who has ever and will ever believe. And do you believe that he was raised from the dead? The one who never sinned became sin. And in exchange for those who put their faith and trust in him, they get his righteousness placed on their account. Do you believe that? He was raised from the dead. Do you believe that he's the only way to the Father? As Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? If you do, if you do, that is the confession and that is the fruit of someone's heart that has been opened by God. Rejoice. Rejoice. Father, we thank you. Being in need of help and being so helpless, um, you provide the only way for help. And it's through the finished work of your son. We thank you for this account. We thank you for the testimonies of our own lives who've been brought to saving faith through the finished work of your son. Bless this, your word, to the hearts of these, your people. Bring to life this day any and all who are listening or who walked into this building unregenerate, that you'd breathe life into them, breathe it into them, open their hearts, unlock them, rather than like an earthquake. Give them faith to believe, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.